Well, good morning. It's been fun to see uh, some new faces walk in today. And so if you're new around here, a special welcome to you. And I know Amanda and David have a special treat for you after service. If you want to stop by, right this room next to the auditorium. Uh, part of our next steps, it's the first step, just to stop in and say hello and introduce yourself. And uh, I tried to grab one of the bananas, but Amanda just about tackled me and said, no, 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 you got to save that for our guests. So um, I hope you enjoy that. Um, we also have put out uh, a, a booklet that carries us through uh, the, about the first nine weeks or so of our sermon series as we walk through the book of James, this series called Faith Works. And so what we've done here is, is kind of left some space for you to take notes on the sermons each week. We even have the life group discussion questions are already in here. So if you'd like to work ahead, or um, that's available to you. So if you want to pick up one of these books, just go ahead and call the office. And we've got some copies uh, there that are waiting for you. Uh, my name is Fred, one of the pastors here. And uh, I have really been blessed as we have opened this letter from James. Uh, I, I've, I've really been challenged by it just in these first couple of weeks already. Um, just just my, my story takes me back uh, over 33 years ago when I first met Jesus and really started to read and study God's word. And so I, I have no idea, but I would think in... 33 years, I have probably turned to these first verses in James, I don't know, dozens of times maybe over that time at least. <clears throat> and yet this time around, as we're, we're going through it and, and contemplating it, I, I, think I'm, I think I'm understanding it at a, at a different level, at a, at a deeper level. Because if I'm, if I'm honest with you, all this time when I would read these verses, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of, very, of various kinds. I, I just couldn't fit joy and trials together very well. How can we be happy when we're in pain? <clears throat> how, can, how, can, how can we find joy unless it's like, well, I'm suffering for Jesus or some other sort of martyrdom sort of way? And I guess I, I've realized that after all these years, what would happen when I would read this passage about having joy in trials, my mind would go immediately to the trial itself, the circumstances that were creating whatever this was that made it a trial, that was creating pain or grief or frustration or anger or fear or anxiety. And, and I, because I would read this and it would take me to trials and I'd think about those circumstances and I would think about all those different emotions, I'm just like, God, how can we fit joy and trials together because I don't feel the joy. And so I wanted to start here again. I know we've talked about this opening passage now. This will be the third week. Because as I've talked with, with many of you over these last couple of weeks, I can even still hear in your lives how loudly the circumstances that we face when we face trials of various kinds are, are crying out to us and drawing our focus into those circumstances. And I, I believe that thought process 
is muddying the waters of what James is really trying to tell us about joy and trials. Because what I've, what I've heard over and over is that when we focus on these circumstances of a trial, the best that we can do to fit joy and trials together is to either, in the midst of the trial, have some awareness of the other blessings that are going on around us, or as we reflect back on different trials throughout our life, we can reflect back and kind of see the silver lining, things that ended up turning out better than we would have expected otherwise. And so that's one way to fit joy and trials together. And, and, and hear me say loud and clear, that's a really good thing to do. When we're in the midst of pain, to, to just focus only on the pain, we would, we would miss the other blessings that we have in our life. And to go on without reflecting back on trials to say, well, let me see if I can really figure out how God's hand was working in this. I, I think those are really good things to do and help us to keep our focus and our thanksgiving on God. But I do want to say that I don't think that finding the joy in the silver linings or these other blessings is what James is pointing to here. And so I want to read through verses 1 through 4 again, and then pretty quickly we'll jump into verses 5 through 8, which is our main text for today. So James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So kind of what we've been talking about these first couple of weeks is that the joy that James is writing about is, is not joy in the circumstances and the pain. But instead, it's knowing that through these trials, God is making us more mature, more perfect, more complete. He's making us more like Jesus and when you think about that God would actually care enough about us to help us grow and mature and become more complete, more like Jesus, we ought to have a lot of joy that he's doing that in our lives. It's so easy to be consumed by the circumstances, the pain, the frustration, the anger, all that stuff. That this concept that God is actually doing a work in our lives can be so easily lost or forgotten that he's actually doing something for our own good is pretty amazing. And, and I believe that James knew how hard this was to understand that, that God through these trials, through these crummy circumstances in our life is actually doing something good in us. And that's why he didn't end there, but he continues with verse 5 because he wants us to help, help us to understand what he means by joy and trials. So starting in verse 5, James shows us how to help us turn from this natural human perspective on our circumstances and to something deeper and better, seeing trials from God's perspective and then finding this joy that he talks about knowing that God is doing this work in us. So beginning in verse 5, James continues. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, 
who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So this is a great passage, and let's start with wisdom. You know, maybe a, a general definition of wisdom might be kind of the, the combining of or the blending of our foundational beliefs, our knowledge, and our experiences all together, and then applied into a particular situation. A synonym for that might be uh, the word discernment. Now, wisdom is a frequent uh, topic and concept throughout all of Scripture, and no doubt we could, we could do a really long sermon series just talking about wisdom itself. But I want to talk about just briefly this concept of wisdom coming from two different perspectives around us. One is coming from the perspective of the world, and the other is wisdom coming from God. Paul makes this distinction in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I, I love this passage. It's a little bit of a, a brain twister, but, but here he speaks about the true wisdom of God, but he is framing it through the past, in, in this passage through the perspective of the world. Okay, so, so let's just look at this. This is 1 Corinthians 1, beginning verse 18. He writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. So the word of the cross is just what we got done singing about. This, this beauty of the gospel, of Jesus coming to this earth, living a perfect life, following the will of the Father out of his love for us, going through an awful, agonizing death on the cross, taking on the punishment for our sins. It's a beautiful thing, but it is folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, to the world. Paul continues, but to us who are being saved, it is, this word of the cross is the power of God. For it is written, God says, I will destroy the, quote, wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise, wise in the world? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. And I think as we look around our world today, we can see just that, this foolishness of this wisdom of the world. It's everywhere. We, we see it in the different social issues. We see it in politics. We see it in education. And sometimes we even see it within the context of the church. And among other things, the world's wisdom says that happiness and full fulfillment will be found in money, sex, and power. The world's wisdom says that there is no joy in trials. In fact, when we go through difficult times, when we struggle, we should try to deaden that pain, maybe with more money, more sex, more power. So when James continues in verse 5 and he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. 
I think he's pointing us away from the wisdom of man and towards this wisdom and perspective from God. Away from a focus on the circumstances around us and towards the work that God is doing in our life. Away from the temporary and towards the eternal. All of this helps us to see trials from God's perspective. Paul understood this really well. Paul had a very difficult ministry. If you ever read uh, some of his uh, uh, Old Te- or New Testament writings, and so he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, so we do not lose heart. And that's in the context of him kind of laying out all the difficulties that he's experienced in ministry. And he continues, he says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You see that contrast between focusing on the temporal and the eternal? Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction, I just love that. He calls it light momentary affliction. Oh, if we experienced even a small piece of the affliction that he experienced. But this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, our circumstances, but the things that are unseen, what God's doing in our life, what awaits us for eternity. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary. The things that are unseen are eternal. And so, friends, the wisdom of God is wisdom indeed to help us see our trials from his perspective. James continues back to verse 5. If, anyone, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Wow. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Uh, that, that seems pretty straightforward. I, I've, I have a science background. My mind thinks scientifically and logically and boy, I, I read that and, and that seems pretty easy. Well, I, I don't know. I look at my life and something must not be quite so easy about that because otherwise I wouldn't find it so hard to count it all joy when I meet trials of various kinds in my life. So I want to offer up a couple of, uh, of, of roadblocks that we might encounter to receiving this wisdom and this joy. And maybe the first roadblock is that we just don't ask. We don't ask. Maybe God isn't really that important to us. And so we don't even really think of it. Maybe another roadblock is that we feel like we don't need to ask. I, I can do this myself. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a really hard worker. I can push through this difficult time. I'll be fine. I, I, don't, need, I don't need God. I can do this myself. So we don't feel like we need to ask. Another one might be that we'd rather not ask because we are kind of enjoying the wisdom of the world. You know, the wisdom of the world, yeah, it it might be more fun than God's wisdom, so I guess I'd just rather not ask. Or, last one, 
we don't ask because we know that if we ask and if we receive God's wisdom and perspective in our life, that means we're going to have to make some changes. Not just in behavior, but in our attitude, in, in, our, in our faith. We're going to have to grow and mature, and, and, and that, can be, <laughs> that can be really hard. As I was thinking through these roadblocks, I, I realized that some of these same scenarios play out in, in my own life in different relationships. You know, I, I go to the dentist pretty regularly, about every six months, but... Um, when I go to the dentist, I don't say, hey, uh, Dr. Chad, what do I really, I need your wisdom. What do I really need to do to, to make sure my gums and my teeth are healthier? I don't ask him because I know what he's going to tell me. I need to floss, right? And I mean, I got a small mouth. To get my fingers in there, it's just, it's, I hate it. But I am thankful that two weeks before I have my appointment, I get a text reminder of that appointment. So then for those last two weeks, I am flossing every day. <laughs> That's my workaround. But, but I don't ask him. I don't ask my doctor how to be healthier because I have a pretty good idea he's going to tell me to cut back on ice cream. <laughs> and ice cream, I mean, I love ice cream if you ask me. My four favorite foods are all ice cream flavors. And so, yeah, I love ice cream and I just don't really want to give that up. So I don't ask him for his wisdom. Somebody might even say, you know, I'm not going to go to Pastor Fred and ask him about some financial wisdom because I'm pretty sure he's going to tell me I need to make a budget. And budgets are just, they're so restricting. Budgets are fun killers. And besides, I'm pretty sure he's going to tell me I need to cut my cable and my NFL ticket. And, and, and I need to be able to watch the Vikings games every week, right? So they don't come to me. And if they did, I'd at least ask them to pick a different team. That's right. So, so, so those are maybe, you know, putting that in terms of, of these other relationships we experience in life, maybe that helps us understand what keeps us from asking. But I want to go back to verse 5 because I think there's some pretty key motivation in there to help us overcome these roadblocks. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Wow. If you read that and let that sink in and, and, and understand and feel just how amazing that is. God gives this wisdom generously. I, I don't know if you've ever been part of a, like a Christmas gift exchange, either with your family or maybe your coworkers and and, and, and I don't know, I, this is showing my depravity, but uh, when I'm in a gift exchange, um, I kind of know who the more generous people are in that group, and, and I'm secretly, you know, just hoping maybe they'll pick my name. Because, you know, if there's a $20 limit, I know they're going at least 30 35 and uh, and I'm going to get something pretty special. It's coming up, Luke. Yes, it is. But, but we look at God. We look at God. And he's already picked our name. He's already picked our name, so he is going to give to us generously. 
Jesus even talked about this in his ministry and, and maybe, you know, James being his, his half-brother, maybe he picked up on a few things through Jesus' ministry. But we go to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That's incredible. So, so we see from James 1.5 that God gives generously. And he also then, it says, he gives to all without reproach. Well, what does that mean? I'll never forget the time that I delegated uh, the lawn mowing responsibility to one of our kids for the very first time. Uh, Megan was probably about 11 or 12 years old and we had this lawn tractor and, and uh, we sat her on there and I gave her a tutorial of, of how to turn, how to go forward, how to go backward, how to shift gears, how to turn the, the blades on and off. We did the whole thing. She was equipped with everything she needed to know and then off she went to cut the grass for the very first time. She, uh, she went around the back of the house and I think I was, I was doing some trimming or something and, and all of a sudden, not long after she started, I hear her cry out, Dad! Dad! I mean, the mower's still running. She's yelling loud. I, I kind of come around because it's pretty apparent that she is crying out to her father for wisdom to handle whatever situation she's gotten herself into. So I went around the back of the house and... What happened was Megan had run over the aluminum downspout and not just like clipped the end of it, you know, trying to get close and just happened to catch it. No, no, she ran over the whole thing, just right up and on top of it. So I came around and, and the motor is still running, the blades are still turning, and so I generously gave her some wisdom in that moment. And I said, turn the mower off. So at least we got that taken care of. But we got her off the mower, we pushed the thing off, and there was this shredded, sharp, destroyed metal aluminum downspout. And I, I was thinking I better get a, a, a tetanus booster before I do anything more. And uh, in talking to Megan this week, because I wanted to make sure I got the story exactly right, um, she said, Dad, you actually handled that really well. You didn't yell at me, you didn't get mad at me, and, and so you handled that really well. And I thought, well, that's good. You know, at least on the outside, that's how I presented myself. And, and uh, because I, I, I remember it differently, on the inside, I had a whole bunch of questions for Megan. How could you do this? What were you thinking? Did you really think you could drive that like over something that's, you know, six or eight inches off the ground and it was going to clear it? Or what's going on? That's giving lots of wisdom with reproach. But friends, God is not like that. James tells us that if someone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously 
without question, without anger, without frustration, without reproach. Let him ask God and it will be given him. Now, James is really smart because to make sure that we don't then just turn God into an Aladdin's lamp or a magic wand or a vending machine, as you like to talk about, David, James adds a condition to our asking. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him, but let him ask in faith. Let him ask in faith. Well, what is, what is faith? We have a, a great definition of this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith means having this assurance and this conviction about something that we believe is true. And to have that conviction and that assurance that it is true, even though they have not yet come and are not yet seen. So James says to ask in faith. And here's where I really need to remind us again about the context of this passage and what it is we're asking for. Because remember, we are asking God for wisdom to see his perspective on our trials. Mainly that he is using these trials to help us grow and become more like Jesus, perfect and complete. And, and knowing, seeing it from his perspective so that that brings us joy, right? That's what we're asking for here. And again, for over 33 years of my life, as I have read verse 5 about asking for wisdom, my mind jumped me right back to my trials and right back to the circumstances that I was facing in my life. Instead of asking for this wisdom to see these trials through God's perspective. And the problem with that is when my mind went right back to the circumstances and I asked God for wisdom and the circumstances didn't resolve themselves, then I was right back to where I started. How do I, how do I find joy in trials? How do I put those two things together? Now, that said, I, I, I want to take us on a little bit of a, a tangent, a little bit of an aside here. Because what about asking for wisdom to handle the different circumstances of the trials that we face? What about asking God to resolve or remove some of these circumstances and trials in our life? Is that okay? And the answer is absolutely it is okay. Now, I don't believe that that's what James is saying here, so that's why I'm looking at this as an aside but asking for wisdom on, handle, on how to handle our circumstances or for deliverance from our trials is very biblical. I'm reading through some of the Old Testament just on, on my own reading, and, and so I found an example. Uh, one of my favorite kings, King Hezekiah, uh, he was one of the few kings who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he found himself in the midst of a trial. In fact, the prophet Isaiah had said to King Hezekiah, 
um, you are going to die. Get your, get your affairs in order. And King Hezekiah cried out to the Lord and, and asked for him to spare his life. And sure enough, not long after that, uh, Isaiah went back with another message from the Lord. And the message was, okay, I'll give you 15 more years to live. We even see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane asking the Father to remove a trial. <laughs> he was asking the Father that if it was possible, let this cup pass from him. The cup being that symbol of God's wrath that was about to be poured out onto Jesus. He was asking the Father to spare him from the agony of that crucifixion and that separation from the Father. So that's a pretty good example that says it is okay to go and ask God for wisdom on how to handle and maybe to remove some of these difficulties we face in life. But one quick caution that I'm going to add about asking God to remove or resolve our circumstances. There are many popular preachers and teachers out there today who will tell you that God God created you because he wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy. And if you have enough faith, you can and will receive all of the things that you ask for from our generous God. And that can be quite dangerous. Because what happens if your circumstances then don't resolve themselves? What happens if your illness doesn't get better? What, what happens when, when you don't land that big contract or get that next promotion at work? Well, these same preachers will tell you that you didn't ask in faith then. If you didn't get it, you didn't ask in faith. Or you didn't ask with enough faith. So try again. In other words, you didn't rub that Aladdin's lamp quite right. And this is not biblical. I want to share one more example, and this is the, the example of Paul and what's called the, the thorn in his flesh. Now, there's some speculation about the exact nature of this thorn in his flesh. Some people would say they, they think it could have been some sort of a physical malady, like his eyesight was poor or he had a hunched over back. Other people think the thorn in his flesh was actually other people who were there that were disturbing his ministry. And he writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So three times Paul pleaded with the Lord to remove the thorn. And I don't think this is just as he bowed his head before he ate his dinner, he asked God. I get, I get the idea that these were pretty pretty significant outcryings to the Lord to remove whatever this was. 
And remember Matthew 7? Ask, seek, and knock. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So after pleading over and over, God did not remove Paul's thorn. And friends, we know Paul had faith. But here's the difference. Paul saw his trial from God's perspective. And he understood that the trial was there for him to to grow in humility. He had some pretty amazing experiences with God. And so, to keep him from becoming conceited, God brought this thorn. And he realized, seeing it through God's perspective, that this trial was to help him find joy in the sufficiency of God's amazing grace and power in his life. And what God was saying to him is, you will find more joy in that than you will find in the, the comfort and the peace that you would experience if I took that thorn away. So yes, friends, it is very appropriate to ask God for wisdom on how to handle or resolve your circumstances. And and he may help you with that. But coming back to James now, he is commanding us to ask for wisdom in faith. To ask for God's perspective on our trial and to find this joy of the work that God is doing in our lives. And then to go ahead and trust that God's perspective, God's wisdom is best whether God removes the trial or not. And then James does something interesting. Verse 5 again, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, and then he adds this, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So James is using this argument of opposites to, to reinforce his point because faith and doubt are opposite from one another. So in the absence of doubt, only faith would remain, right? But once again, the, the, the context is, is pretty key here. Because James is not saying that we have to have our faith fully and completely matured and perfect with, with no hint of doubt or wonder whatsoever. Because remember, these trials that we experience, they are there to, to test our faith, to help us persevere to help us grow in steadfastness, to help us to overcome some of these doubts that we might have along the way. What James is saying here is that God won't accept the prayer of the doubter. The doubter who lives most of his days far from God, ignoring or discounting God's promises, finding wisdom from the world in his quest for pleasure, perhaps only coming closer to God in desperation whenever these trials become too painful. Like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind is the doubter who shifts and changes and moves 
only because of the, the whims and the winds of the circumstances around him. And when I think of a double-minded man, I think of the man who, when life is good, when problems are small, when family, food, finances, and fun all are lined up together, this man becomes his own God, ruling over his own kingdom. He forgets God because his good life is all that he needs. Until a big trial comes along the way and his kingdom is toppled. Then this double-minded man cries out expecting God to come in and rescue him. Really looking to God only to restore his kingdom. That this wisdom of the world calls the good life. This man should not expect to receive anything, James says. He's not asking in faith. He is a doubter and a double-minded man. So friends, my encouragement to you today is if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God for this wisdom in faith. Trusting in God's sovereignty in your life. Trusting that he loves you more than you can ever know or understand. Trusting that God will use these painful circumstances that you're facing to be more like Christ. Trusting that Jesus came, as he said, that we might have life and have it abundantly. And trusting that there's actually better joy to be had in Jesus than in the world. Let me offer you a couple of takeaways as we close. The first is count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. We've been talking a lot about joy and trials, but in our life group this last week, we had a great conversation about the last two words, trials of various kinds. How often, do we, how often do we waste a good trial in our life? And I'm talking about, we didn't really have a good word for it, but the, the smaller trials we experience, the short-term trials we experience, maybe those, those everyday life trials that, that come multiple times in a day, do we just blow right by those and press on or do we take time to even reflect on those trials of various kinds to see what God's trying to teach us in our life. Number two, ask God for wisdom and faith to see your trials from his perspective. Try not to just jump to asking for wisdom to help you with your circumstances, but ask him for help to see what he's doing in your life. And then finally, I want to offer you this takeaway. If you're being tossed around, wake up, Jesus. Wake up, Jesus. I, I know in a room this size that uh, there are, are some significant trials and circumstances going on in your lives. 
And I don't want to come across as being tone deaf by saying, hey, don't really look at the circumstances, only look at what God is doing in your life. I don't want to skip over that because those circumstances are very real. But if you find yourself just being tossed about in your life, my encouragement is wake up, Jesus. I, I, I thought of, of, of this story that we see in, in three of the four Gospels of Jesus inviting his disciples to join him in a boat as they crossed the other side of the lake. And as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. And then the windstorm came. And the waves came. And they were tossing that boat back and forth, up and down, waves crashing over, water filling the boat. And it says that the disciples were in danger. And so what did they do in that moment? which might reflect maybe what your life feels like today, <laughs> they woke up Jesus. They said, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And Jesus woke up. He rebuked the wind and the waves and, and there was a calm. So, so, so Jesus actually <laughs> removed those circumstances instantly but then Jesus challenged them with a very interesting question. He said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And in that question, Jesus was sharing his, his perspective, his wisdom on this trial that they were experiencing. And that perspective was, it really had nothing to do with the storm but had all to do with their faith. So God used this trial to help them to understand that, that there was a growth opportunity for them to grow in their faith and trust in Jesus. So if that's you, if you're being tossed around, I encourage you to wake up Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, we uh, ask you as individuals, and ask you as collective members of the body of Christ for your wisdom, which we lack, to help us to find more joy in Jesus. More joy as we uh, have the pleasure of experiencing your blessings and more joy as we experience these trials of various kinds in our life. Father, we cry out to you, increase our faith as we pray our faith in you, our faith in your love and your grace for us, faith in your plan for our life, and faith that you are doing a good work in our lives. And as we've been praying these past few weeks, God, use our circumstances and help us to gain your perspective and see the circumstances of our lives through your eyes. Father, continue your work in us by any and all means necessary for our ultimate good and most importantly for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.